Grace, peace, and mercy are yours from the triune God. Amen. Please be seated. Uh, happy baptism of our Lord Sunday. Uh, <clears throat> I'm not sure how your mornings went, but um, I woke up at 3.30 in the morning and rewrote this entire sermon. Um, and when my sermons have no inherent structure to them, I arbitrarily impose one with numbered points. So I just want to wish us all luck this morning. Okay, number one. Uh, I may not be remembering this exactly right, but it feels to me like in the conservative church I was raised in um, that most of the sermons I heard growing up were about how God set life up to be not unlike a moral reward and punishment system. Like we're all rats in some kind of cruel cosmic lab experiment, receiving shocks from God for going the wrong way and little reward pellets for going the right way in some sort of like existential maze. Uh, and if the preacher wanted to outline some takeaways about how to receive God's rewards and avoid God's punishments while in God's existential maze, I'm pretty sure he used numbered points to do this. Number two. Last month, uh, I saw a production of the musical Godspell, uh, which was one of the most full-throated, joyful things I've ever witnessed. For those who are familiar, it's, um, it's a Stephen Schwartz musical based in the Gospel of Matthew. And the first number in the musical is John the Baptist and the entire ensemble singing prepare ye the way of the Lord at the River Jordan. And in this production, the water on stage was glitter. And I was in the front row and it was everywhere and I was there for it. It was amazing. I checked the font this morning. It's for sure water. Uh, <laughs> but in this production I saw of Godspell, the entire cast were men. And in this production I saw of Godspell, the audience, we had to navigate through a maze, uh, a maze of metal detectors and locked doors and razor wire before finding our seats. Because in this production I saw of Godspell, the entire cast and crew and band were the children of God incarcerated inside a maximum security prison in Canyon City, Colorado. If you don't know about the work of Denver University's Prison Arts Initiative, I implore, your, I implore you to find out about it. It's powerful stuff. Uh, number three, recently in a Q&A, uh, someone asked me what I thought Jesus would think of the church if he were to return today, assuming I'd answer something like, he'd be like, oh my gosh, are all those fancy vestments and music for me? Uh, but instead I answered, I think he'd be curious why his church doesn't seem to talk about forgiveness of sins nearly as much as he did. Number four. The more I thought about it this week, the more I realized that while I still don't think God sets up an existential reward and punishment maze for us, I'm pretty sure the devil does. 
because sometimes I feel trapped in an invisible maze of if-then propositions. Like he's whispering through the air vents, if, if you have done something bad, then you are something bad. If you really belong to God, then why is your life so hard? If you just buy this map or say this prayer or manifest this desire, then you can set yourself free. But it never works. And I say this maze that we're in of if-then propositions is of the devil not to be overly dramatic, but because in our gospel reading, Jesus comes up out of the waters of his own baptism and the heavens open and God speaks of belongingness to God and belovedness by God. And in the very next verse, Jesus is driven into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. The waters of baptism were still glistening on his forehead and Satan whispers, if, if you are who God says you are, then call down some power and cash and prizes for yourself because you deserve it. In other words, the glitter of baptism was still glistening on his forehead and Satan was like, can I interest you in a maze? Which is why I love that moment in the Lutheran baptismal liturgy when right before the water touches them, those being baptized are asked, do you renounce the devil and all of his empty promises? I mean, I renounce them. I may or may not believe in a literal devil, but I sure renounce his empty promises at any opportunity, except, that is, when I happen to be searching for them in a maze like there's something I deserve. Number five, it was only after his time in the wilderness telling Satan to talk to the hand that Jesus began to proclaim the gospel, that Jesus began to proclaim a reality that is more real than the maze we trap ourselves in, that Jesus began to proclaim a reality of belongingness and belovedness, that Jesus began to speak of a reality he called the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is not like the maze. The kingdom of God is like a landowner who was just as outrageously generous to those who worked all day as he was to those who, like me, took so many smoke breaks they only worked a couple hours. The kingdom of God is like a father who has every right to reject his greedy, manipulative, no-good son, but instead runs out into the road to embrace him as if his no-goodness was no matter. In the kingdom of God, the last shall be first, and the enemies shall be loved, and I am forgiven, and none of the rules and policies and guidelines of the maze apply. And I'm pretty sure Jesus paired God's kingdom with talk of God's forgiveness of sins for a reason. Number six, sometimes at the center of my own maze, I get stuck in like tide pools of resentment 
toward myself and others, stuck swirling in an eddy of my own remorse, caught in the shame of both what I have done and what has been done to me, trapped in thinking that I will never be more than who I was in my worst moments. And those who have harmed me will always be who they were in their worst moments. But Jesus of Nazareth comes along and says to us and to all who are trapped, you don't belong to the maze. You can't belong to an illusion. You belong to God. And you are beloved by God. And in his kingdom there is forgiveness of sins, which means the maze may try to tell you that your failings are inescapable. But that is a lie because no offense, but if Jesus can defeat sin, death, and the devil, I'm pretty sure forgiving your sin isn't going to be that hard for him. The point is, you are more than what you have done, good and bad. The people I have grown to love inside our Colorado prisons have proven this to me. They stayed close to the original script in that uh, production, but one moment I loved in the prison production of Godspell was when they changed the line, pray for those who persecute you, to pray for those who prosecute you. <laughs> because the kingdom of God is such as this. And just to get it out there, uh, if the metaphorical maze, which I'm awkwardly trying to express in this sermon, if the metaphorical maze of which I am referring had a metaphysical, metaphys, sorry, metaphorical, I can't say it, someone want to do it for me, metaphorical, I'm going to start again. If the metaphorical maze to which I am referring had a metaphorical basilica, it would be our literal prisons where thousands of people for years upon end are seen as only what they did in their worst moment. Not for nothing, but Martin Luther once said that it is not God, but the devil, who rummages through our garbage looking for already forgiven sins to rub our nose in and say, this is who you really are. But in Christ, who they really are is forgiven. And who you really are is forgiven. And I'm sorry to be the one to say it, but the same is true for everyone you resent. <laughs> Which at first sounds awful, but to know that in the kingdom of God there is pardon for you and for me and for everyone who has ever hurt us is true freedom. Because it means we can stop thinking an eye for an eye is going to help us. We're free to stop relitigating decades-old crimes of our siblings and our parents. We're free to stop beating ourselves and everyone else up for stuff that's so way far in the past. What I'm trying to say is that a reward and punishment system may be effective for behavior management, but Christianity isn't supposed to be about controlling the masses. Christianity is supposed to be about raising the dead. I've started to think that maybe forgiveness of sins is the alchemical process by which we are raised. Because to follow the crucified and resurrected one is to live as a people who get to be wrong. 
We get to be wrong and muck things up and die to our old wrong ideas and be born again as often as we need it. So I can only hope that you are as wrong as often as I am so that you might know deeply this grace of God, which makes all things new. So friends, I invite you to enjoy your forgiveness. It will not be taken away as a punishment, and it cannot be granted as a reward. It is your inheritance as a freed child of the kingdom of God. And in closing, I want to offer you the same absolution I give every week in the women's prison. God, who is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love, loves you as you are. As a called and ordained minister of the Church of Christ, and by his authority, I declare to you the entire forgiveness of all of your sins. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.